0: Amen. So good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. I want you to turn to somebody around you and tell them you got 128 days until Christmas. Okay, go ahead, tell them. 128 days. That's right. Better start making Christmas lists. Right? Today is Life Group Launch Weekend. And so when you came in today, you saw some tables out there. That is for, uh, for you to sign up to get into community. And so, uh, or you can find a place to serve if you've been coming for a while, and you're like, "Hey, I, I want to get plugged in." There's a lot of serve teams out there. Uh, we've got about 30 different places for you to plug into ministry uh, here. And so, uh, you you can peruse that in between the services. You can even go now if if you want and beat the rush and uh, walk around out there. You're not going to bother me uh, by doing that. So um, I do want to pray over this every single. Uh, time we do a life life group launch, we talk about one very important topic, and that is people. And so today I'm going to be talking about the importance of us being in community with each other, but I want to start just by praying over us, okay? Father, we love you. Thank you so much for the people of God and the presence of God. We thank you for just another fantastic opportunity to be in the house of God. Thank you for the presence of the Lord that we feel in this room. Thank you for worship. And God, we pray today that you'd speak to our minds, open our hearts, God. Let this word fall on good soil today. That God, that we would see the importance of living life uh, together with other believers and, and uh, being in community, having friends. And so, God, just speak to us again on the importance of this topic. We give you a lot of glory today and a lot of honor. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to start today by going to Psalm chapter 68 and verse 6, and basically I'm going to paraphrase here for just a minute, but it basically is saying this, that God takes lonely people and he puts them into families, that God takes isolated, lonely people and he puts them around other people, okay? And if you look at the beginning of time and you, you look at God and Adam's relationship, you're going to see one big mystery kind of unfold. Uh, Genesis kind of gives us this idea that God would come down, he would walk with Adam, and that they, they would talk with each other. The King James Version says it this way that he would talk to him in the cool of the day. Another version says when the wind would blow, that God would come and he would kind of bring this wind and, and he, would, he would talk with Adam face to face. And one day they're having this conversation, and God basically tells Adam, Listen, you're not good by yourself. And, and you and I, if if you think through any theological grid, you you kind of look at it and you kind of it doesn't sit well with you because you kind of go, how does a guy who's in connect uh, in, in direct communication with God have any lack in his life? How is that person not whole in every single way? And this is what I think is the premise behind God's statement to Adam is because God knew that we needed somebody to walk through this life who would experience it in the same way that you and I walk through it. That we would have someone around us to cry with and celebrate with and someone around us who we could share our faults with, somebody that we could we could uh, confess to and get prayer from and we're going to see all this unfold this morning in this short message. But it was God kind of immediately saying, you know, I've got a great relationship with you, and I'm going to continue to be your God, but I'm going to give you people in your life who are like you, who see the world the way you see it, who experience the physical world that I've created the way that you experience it. And so it was a very important conversation to be had, and as you know, it goes on and starts to play out. I don't know how how many of you know what an oxymoron is, not a moron, some of you know exactly what that is, but an oxymoron is a grouping of words, like two words that go together and they don't really belong together. It seems weird for them to be put together, but I'm going to give you some examples of those. Like, pretty ugly is an oxymoron, like that's a pretty ugly shirt that you have on. Short sermon is an oxymoron, okay? Mud bath is an oxymoron. Adult male is an oxymoron. Uh, Light syrup is an oxymoron. But a very serious oxymoron is this. Isolated Christian or lonely Christian. Someone who is actually striving to be like Christ. A believer who is living life by themselves on an island someone who's just trying to make, make it work, they're trying to do all the right stuff, they're trying to be all the things God is calling them to be, and they're doing it by themselves, right? So if you were to ask Christians why God placed us on this planet, if I brought up a dozen of you and I handed you the mic and I said, I want you to tell our whole church why it is that you believe God put us on this planet, the common theme among those 12 voices would be this to glorify God with my existence, okay? That somehow in what I'm doing, what I'm saying, and all of those things, I want to glorify God. And that's a religious answer, and it's a good answer, but it's incomplete, okay? And so let let, let me explain. There there are two big choices in in your life that everybody in here is going to have to look at at one point or the other. The first one is a lordship issue. Am I going to make Christ the Lord of my life? This is such a big question that there are churches across our city of all kinds of denominations and movements and and schools of theological thought that are taking time out this morning to share the gospel, to say, does anyone here need to make this decision to make Jesus Christ the Lord of of your life? So the second big thing is this. Who are you going to live your life out with? Who is going to be your inner circle? Who's going to be the people that you're able to go to and connect with and make friends with and say, you are going to be in my life and I'm going to be in your life? And this is going to be a lot more than just a shallow thing because the church is notorious for being shallow. We use the word love often, and it's, it's a buzzword to some. We, we walk in, we see somebody, love you. We walk in, we see somebody else, love you. And we say that, but a lot of times our relationships formulate around, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. How, how's the family? They're good, everybody's good. How's your, your job going? It's good, everything's good. And that's it. That's, that's the whole experience. So what I believe God is asking us to do is come into depth with each other, to support each other, and I hope I've got enough scripture this morning to give us that. Sometimes people truly feel that they don't need anyone, and some of you are hardwired by this honestly. You are an introverted personality, and so your idea of church is to come in five minutes lately, five minutes early, so you don't dare have to talk to anybody. Somebody the other day posted to us and said, "Your church is the most high fivingest church I've ever been to." Okay, here's the reason we have you high five each other: because you wouldn't touch each other unless we made you. And some of you, you high five somebody, and you immediately pull out the germex. You're like, right there in front of them, you know. We force you to interact with each other because it's very important. There's a great story about an independent mind. His name was Muhammad Ali. We all know him from watching fights and interviews. He was extremely confident. He was an independent thinker. He didn't care what anybody else thought. But there's this little story. I always plug it in when I'm talking about life group launch because he was on an airplane one time and the stewardess was going up and down the aisles and she was saying, hey, buckle up, buckle up. The captain is preparing for takeoff. Everybody has to buckle up. Part of my job, I got to tell everybody, buckle up. No, we're not leaving this tarmac until everybody buckles up. And she got to Muhammad Ali and she said, you need to buckle up. And he said, Superman don't need a seatbelt. And she said, Superman, don't need a plane either. Now buckle up. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Independent people, sometimes you got to be told you need somebody. And so I'm telling you this morning, no matter how of an independent thinker you are, no how uh, great your skill set, no matter what natural abilities and talents the Lord has given you, you are still not good by yourself. And he's told us this from the beginning, don't be alone, don't be isolated. So God really intended relationships to be a blessing, but we've all had some bad ones. We've all had a friendship or a relationship, even a church experience. Go bad. And we look at that and we get a little bit tainted and jaded and we say, you know what, I'm going to get close to people but not as close because the last time I was this close with somebody, I got hurt. Or the last time I really served a church with all of my heart, I I got overlooked. I got hurt. And we we are pulling something from the past into our present and projecting it onto the future. And what it does, it isolates us. Just like a kid who touches a stove says, I'm not going to do that again. We do the same thing with our relationships. I'm not going to get close to them. I'm not going to tell them anything about my my life. Everything is going to be shallow. Everything is going to be superficial. And God is saying, stop it, that's not the life I have for you. To walk through and just know each other's names or high-five each other in church, it's so superficial. He said, I want you to get to know each other. I want you to live life together. I want you to be in community with each other. So God sees an importance in it. So today we're going to look at Ecclesiastes as a source of this discovery and I, I want to I tell you just a little bit of background before I hop into the text. It's Ecclesiastes chapter 4, if you're following me in your Bible. Ecclesiastes is one of three books classified as wisdom books. Most scholars um, concretely agree that King Solomon was the author of Ecclesiastes. And he starts his book by saying this famous adage, Meaningless, meaningless, everything is utterly meaningless. What a great in- intro. Okay? I want to dive right into that that book. And so when he says, listen, meaningless, meaningless, this is, is an observation. He has a very analytical mind, and he's looked at his people, he's looked at his community, and he said, I want you to look about all these people who are striving and working and collecting for what? Nothing. We're all going to die. That career's going to end. Your body's not going to do what it, what you want it to. It's meaningless. See, you can stop going to the gym right now. Your body's not going to do what it what what you want it to do. Okay, it's a free pass. And so he looks at these people. And he says, "Listen, we're all broken, and life is meaningless, and food is meaningless, and clothes are meaningless, and all this stuff in this palace meaningless." Being served meaningless, this ring on my finger, this incredible wardrobe, that hot chariot I got out there, meaningless, all of it. And he uses this great word, it's a Hebrew word that means Havel. Havel means meaningless, but Havel gives us an image with it, it's a vapor, a brief breath. A brief breath. It's kind of like when we go outside in the next couple of months, and it's going to start cooling down, and some mornings you're going to go out to get in your car, and you're going to see your breath, and you're going to say, man, it's cold out, out here. And Before you can even get that thought done, that breath is going to be gone. And this writer is saying, that's what our lives are like. Here one day, gone the very next. In my mind, it's the craziest thing, and I know some of you feel the same way, but in my mind, I was 20 yesterday, and I'm 45. My dad is here this morning. He's in his 70s. I'm sure there are days he looks in the mirror and goes, I used to look better than this. Come on, dad, where are you? I don't, never mind, I may not want to know. Meaningless, meaningless. He goes on, he's so dedicated to this that he repeats it 38 times. He describes life as temporary, fleeting. He says, Time is not on your side, and everyone's going to die, and all the temporary things we care about and the earth is going to pass away. And he covers status and wealth and career and possessions. And he even says that pursuing those things are like chasing the wind. He says, You never just really get your hand on it. It's like you can get a taste of it, but you can't get it. You know, you can't just grab a hold of it and like call it yours, it won't happen. And he gives us this great insight to relationship. And so I want to go to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. i I'm going to read verse 7 through 12 through the NLT today. This is what it says. Solomon says, I observed yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. This is the case of a man who was all alone, without a child or a brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. But then he thinks to himself, Who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It is all so meaningless and depressing. He's saying, listen, there's one thing I've, I've seen. I've seen a lot of people collect stuff, and it's worthless. But I've seen two people get together, even three, and I've seen their life turn for success. And he's giving us a lot of wisdom this morning that if we'll pay attention, it can change our life as believers. Recent research from Duke University had a significant revelation. They interviewed 1,500 people. Watch this. Half of them selected one statement. That one statement was this, I have no one to confide in. 750 people said, I have no one in my life to confide in. To give you an image of that number, it would be about what our church has had, well, a little bit more than what's in this service this morning. And everybody in here, including me, saying, I have nobody to confide in. So imagine looking around this room and everybody in front of you and beside you and behind you having no one. And we're going to go a thousand different directions with this study, but the one thing I want to pull out of it is this big statement, this big truth, is that basically what they're saying is, "All of my relationships are shallow. All of them are superficial. Because when it comes down to the big stuff, to the deep stuff, to the rich stuff, it's all just it's gone. I have no one that I've I've ever told how I really felt about something important in my life. I've never sat with someone and said, this is an area of my life that I really struggle with. Will you pray with me about it? And what's strange is we do this in every area of our lives, except for our spirituality component. When we need the mind to, to grow, we naturally gravitate toward people smarter than ourselves. We go to professors, we go to New York Times bestsellers, we go to, we go to other avenues and silos of, of intellect and we try to draw from it, to stretch our minds and we tell them, I need to know more about this topic, teach me on it. It's a natural thing. When we want to, to grow our businesses, what do we do? We go to people who do it better than us. We go to industry leaders and we say, will you mentor me for three months, six months, a year? Will you show me what you do on a day-to-day basis? Tell me how to lead people, how to talk to people, grow me. But very rarely do we sit down with someone and in an honest conversation say, this is where I know where I am spiritually and I need some help. And so will you just join me in prayer? We don't do it. And it's the biggest lie and separation of the enemy. Because I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you, it's not enough for us to pack out churches. It's not enough for us to go to conferences together. It's not enough for us to, just, to lift our hands in worship and all that stuff is great. But where it really comes together... It's when we are in community with each other. Keep in mind what I started with, talking about Adam and, and God. They had everything together spiritually, and God was like, this is not enough for you. I want you to be with other people. And that same voice is still echoing to us today. I don't know if any of you have seen the movie Castaway, great Tom Hanks movie. And uh, somehow in the course of, of the movie, his best friend becomes a volleyball Anybody remember that? Okay, three of you—that's great. Should invest in Netflix this afternoon and watch that. He's got this volleyball friend. His name's Wilson, and he gets so into it that he's like—he posts him up, and he looks like he's got a face. And so he—he—he he, he, he draws little, little facial features and he talks to him. And he's talking out to him and he survives storms and his, his loneliness, and he just kind of projects it onto Wilson. And it gets so out of hand that during a storm, Wilson falls off the boat and he starts floating out and he sacrifices his life to go after a volleyball. Now, here's the big, big point here when you are by yourself, you go crazy, you lose your mind. Best friend, your best friend becomes a volleyball. Some of you, you talk to yourself way too much. Okay, some of it okay. What you do, not okay. You've isolated yourself. You've pulled yourself away from it. So for those of you who are naturally shy, you look at life groups and you think to yourself, "This is an arranged friendship. They're trying to force me to be friends with somebody." Here's what, what we don't want to do. We're not trying to create an uncomfortable or awkward moment. So what we want to do is cultivate an environment where you are never disconnected from people. It does not mean you cannot be yourself. We just do not want you to be isolated, okay? So let me give you three thoughts quickly on relationship. I'm going to fly through these. Verse 9 of chapter 4 in Ecclesiastes said this, Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. Scripture is chocked full of people getting together and doing great things that you can succeed. When you look at successful people, what you're going to see are people who are in, behind them somewhere, maybe in a, in, a, in a crowd, in a quiet, shadowy corner, is still someone in their life who loved them, prayed for them, cheered for them, let them cry on them, was an honest sounding board for them. And you may never see that person in a a public way, but every successful person has someone behind them pushing and shoving them towards success. I do not want to imply that if you are lonely today that you aren't successful. But I do want to echo Scripture that being connected with people of faith will help you succeed on a greater level. For me, my parents started this foundation for me. They were very inspirational for me. They were solid, predictable people. They were in my life as a constant. They encouraged me. My father was not a pastor. He didn't know the first thing to do with me when I began to communicate that I wanted to be in in the ministry. But he would pray for me. He would encourage me. He would tell me to do it if I needed a resource. He bought it. There were were things that, that he did that were just constant for me. My mom as well. I had a youth pastor. And he was the first guy. His name was Kenny. He was the first guy to tell me that I was a leader. And then he gave me something small to lead. I had an elementary teacher. She looked right at me. I was fifth or sixth grade, and she said, I think you're going to end up being a pastor. I don't know the context of that. I was probably taking up an offering in elementary school. You know, 10% of lunch money goes right, all 10%. That's probably what I was doing. I had a pastor named Jimmy. He taught me to love education, read things bigger than you are. That's what he would say to me. Find an article that blows your mind and read it over and over and over again. Get out a dictionary if you have to. Call somebody about it. Understand it. Stretch your mind. Pastor Rick taught me how to lead more confidently. Throw your shoulders back. Lift your head up. Do the best job that you can do, and that's excellence. Lead with confidence. We all need people in our lives to encourage us. My wife at some of my lowest moments was a hero for me. Who believed in me and looked right at me and said, Not only are we gonna get through this, but in the end of it, you're gonna be better for it. We gotta have people in us who are pushing us along. So we gotta have a place in our lives where we can be ourselves, our authentic selves. And that place should be the church. Why should we ask people about business and ask professors about intellect and not be able to come to the house of the Lord and ask a fellow believer? To pray with us. There are two reasons why most people will leave a a church. The first one is children's ministry. Because parents will say, if my kids love ministry, I can put up with awful preaching. Okay? If my kids love children's ministry, that's fine. But if they don't like it, I will go somewhere else where my kids are loving church and I'll put up with anything. Children's ministry. The second big thing is people say, I don't feel connected, right? I'm not making friends, I don't feel a a connection, I'm coming, but I'm not buying in, I I don't feel a fit, I don't feel like I've got a niche here, and because of that, I'm going to have to go somewhere else. And we will always bless those people. I'll be the first to say, we are not the church for everybody, but there is a church for everybody. And if we can help anybody find the right place, man, we're going to bless you and pray over you and honor you for trying to search that out. In 20 years of ministry, most people who have talked to me about moving on never say it's something related to adult ministry. Like they they don't come to me and say, I'm leaving because of, of the worship team. Or I'm leaving because of your communication. Or I'm leaving because of this building. No. Children's ministry, Connection. Those are the are, are the, It's that important to people's lives. I want to show you something. This is how the early church lived. Okay? I'm going to give you a lot of scripture. If you're a note taker, I'm going to b- fly through these. And you can revisit them later, but I want to make a big point here. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, I'm reading from the NIV, says this. They, being the apostles, devoted themselves to the teaching and to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. They devoted themselves to the teaching and to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Acts 2, through 47 All the believers, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Listen to this. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had in need. Man, can you imagine if that came back to the house of God? Every day they continued to meet together. Every day they continued to meet together. Every day in the temple courts they broke bread in their homes and ate together. Every day they were meeting together and saying, what's going on? Is anybody hungry? Is anybody poor? Does anybody need anything? Does anybody need any prayer? Is anybody hungry? Is anybody kid sick? Let me check on you. Let me pray for you. What are we going to do about this big gospel? How does it affect our life? Every day they were together. We're lucky if we come together for this one moment. This is why life groups are so important. Because it's more than me talking to you and you staring at the back of somebody's head in front of you. Life was made to live in circles, not in rows. We look at each other and we see the lives everybody is is living. Okay, let me give you some quick, quick verses. The Bible says, love one another, that's John 13. Live in harmony with one another, Romans 12. Comfort and agree with one another, 2 Corinthians 13. Serve one another, John 13. Bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6. Forgive one another, Ephesians 4. Submit to one another, Ephesians 5. Be honest with one another, Colossians 3. Encourage one another, 1 Thessalonians 5. James 5 says confess to one another and pray for one another. If you just read the power words of those dozen scriptures that I just read, this is what you get. Devoted, fellowship, breaking bread, prayer, loving, living, comforting, agreeing, serving, bearing, forgiving, submitting, being honest, encouraging, confessing, and praying, all with each other. This is what the Lord wanted from us he wanted us together and he wanted us living together in in, in community and there's no excuse it's not like we can say "Well, I'm just just a quiet person I want to slip in and slip out that's not God's will for your life can you get, get to heaven on that? yeah if you believe Jesus Christ was the son of God absolutely but it's not living a life more abundantly which is what he came to give us the second big thing is this. Friendship helps us bounce back. Verse 10 says, If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. You know, every time I read that, 100% of the time, I think of that old commercial. I've fallen and I, I can't get up. It's a very theological commercial. Why is that person can't, can't get up? Because they ain't got nobody. If they had somebody with them, they could get up. You gotta have more than a necklace around it with a little button on it. Okay, oh I'm in trouble. I need I need a life group now. Oh God, I can't get up. Right? Galatians 6 says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. I don't know if you've ever had to carry something big. I remember one time we were carrying this picnic table. I'm thinking of it because it's awkward. And so a picnic table is, is an awkward thing. And there was something about this moment. It, it strikes me every time I think about this. And like two people are carrying it, and we're trying to turn it sideways. But all of a sudden, it's like the posse shows up. Like four other guys come in, and there's, there's one on, uh, uh, just two on the sides and one on each end. And all of a sudden, you could make that thing spin if you wanted to. Why? Because we separated the weight of it. We bore the burden together. And it's like when you get people in your life who love you, heavy things don't seem as heavy because you're bearing each other's burdens. We've all fallen into sin before. We know that from Romans chapter 3. Maybe some of you right now are in the middle of sin. You don't know how to get out. You're isolated. The enemy's put you on an island. You've gotten comfortable being by yourself and around your own thoughts, and maybe you're talking to a volleyball. And you need some traction. I've had several ministry friends struggle by themselves. And it's heartbreaking. Because you can have a fantastic leader or communicator or someone with a lot of of charisma. And and something happens and their humanity wins out. And they, they, they have a fall and all of a sudden they realize they had a lot of ability but no friends. It's hard to watch. It's hard to watch that someone was pouring into the lives of people and when they themselves needed something, nobody around. Third, friendship gives us strength. I'm going to hurry with this. Verse 12 of Ecclesiastes said, A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. He's saying this, What I have seen is there's a lot of stuff that we're putting our time into that's meaningless. But when I see people get together, I'm paraphrasing Solomon. When I see people get together, two people sharing life, three people sharing life, success comes to them. When they fall, they help each other up. I don't know if you've ever seen anybody fall in public, like trip downstairs or something, but immediately five or six people go and grab them. Pastor Rick always uses this great example, and it's so true, but our bodies feel physiologically are a metaphor for us. If you're walking along and you, you hit your arm across a, a, a door jam, and your, your other hand grabs it, if you twist your, your knee, man, you reach down, you grab a hold of it, your body touches the pain. Wherever it it, it happens, you hit your head, the first thing you do is grab it. Oh! That's exactly the way the church is, and Scripture uses the body, physical body, as a metaphor for our church. And that's what we should be doing when people are hurting, when they're broken, when they're isolated. We should run to them. Put our hands on them. Embrace them. Soothe the pain. Get them connected. Get them serving get them back to where their spirituality they're in love with love love with God and love what they're doing for the local church. I say this often but you can't pay enough staff to make a church work great. Why? Because that's not how God made it. For us to go, I'm just going to get lazy but I'll be a great giver and you can hire somebody to do my part. No, it's not going to work. It doesn't work till you get in it till you serve it, till you love somebody, till you start meeting with families and breaking bread and having communion and confessing and praying and, and believing for one another. That's when the church really becomes alive. That's what makes us less of an organization. and makes us the people of God. We need the accountability, okay? Listen, everybody in this room has a big old blind spot. You don't see it. I don't expect you to know it. That's why it's called a blind spot. I've got them too. But by definition, you know what it is. It's something that's been going on in your life for so long, you no longer see it. And you need somebody in your life who loves you enough to say, hey, man, look out. Okay? I got people in my life that God has blessed me with who love me. And they will come to me and they will say, hey. Look out! Your attitude isn't good. You didn't lead that that right. It seems this right here is slipping. And you know what? every bit of that, I'd be lying if I didn't say that that stuff was uncomfortable. But it's it's the right thing because I would rather have that any day than somebody be superficial and applaud me and say "atta boy" when I'm really messing it up. We all need those people in our life because listen, listen. The weakest form of love is someone that sees someone in danger and hope that it works out best for them. The weakest form of love in this place is when I see you about to run off a cliff, and I don't don't care about it. That I care more about offending you than saving your soul. That I care more about me saying the wrong thing than helping save your marriage. Somebody's got to have some guts in the house of God and say, I'm going to step in. I'm not trying to be intrusive. I'm not trying to offend you. I'm trying to keep you from falling off a cliff. That only comes from relationship. It only comes from fellowship and breaking bread and confessing and praying. And somewhere along that journey, trust sets in, and we let people speak to us from a position of love. And it's no longer, how are you? How's the kids? How's your job? Great, let's go in here and worship. But It's about real life stuff, man. It's about raising kids and how hard that is and how expensive, too. God wants us to do it together. Let me end with this. Okay, I've gone over. Proverbs 27, 17, you all know it as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens the other. We love this scripture because it feels very brave heart to us. Iron sharpening iron. Man, we're going to come out on the end of this. You've got an edge. I've got an edge. This is awesome. What we forget in that imagery, though, is how that really plays out. And iron coming across iron, gaining an edge is a painful process. It requires friction, it requires tension. It requires heated moments. It's like family. Growing up, my father respectfully said things to me that hurt my feelings, but they grew me. He also said things to my backside with a belt, and that didn't feel good either, but it grew me and made me very afraid. got to have people who iron sharpens iron and you've got to stick it out for those moments y'all you got to stick it out you can't be offended every time someone points out a blind spot you can't be offended because someone wants to disciple you you can't be offended because someone who loves you actually sees something in your life that's going to make you better and they call it out in you because some of you don't have anybody in your life cheering you on And some of you don't have anybody in your life challenging you, and you need both. You need someone who cheers you and someone who challenges you. And for some, you're blessed. That's going to be the same person. And we don't care today what happens out here. We don't care if you go out here and you sign up for a Bible study or a men's group, some organized, we don't care. We don't care if you come in and, and, and you do it organically, that you find two or three people who you are already in relationship with and, and you commit, hey, let's go to coffee, let's have lunch two times a week, and we're going to get deeper. We're going we're gonna to stop all the house, of the kids and whatnot, and we're going to talk about really where we are with God, and you make a commitment. We don't care if it's organic or you're a part of something that we've organized. Just do it. Just get in community, because it makes everything we do stronger and better, all right? I don't you stand with me all across the room? I want you to hold hands with somebody beside you.